It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here inside the Indiana Convention Center. And look who it is. If you're listening, you can't see it. But if you're watching on YouTube, you can. It's Eric Eager of Sumer Sports. Five straight years in a row, we have gotten together. Well, there's been combines to have a podcast at the NFL Combine. So it is great to see you. I hope you're having a good time. I had to wait for you to do another interview. So you're doing media tours at the Super Bowl, media tours here. And I guess Thomas Dimitrov was combing his hair in the mirror and, and couldn't uh, join you on this one. Or what, what happened? Well, you know, I have been somewhat of a disappointment for people here. Uh, but you are one of my best friends. And so I made time for you, um, as, as, as I want to do. Um, but I, I was, I was a disappointment. I was late. Uh, and then I, I went on a different show, but I'm here now. And then that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. None of that other stuff will be held against you later or uh, come along with any bitterness at all. So why don't we uh, just talk about the Vikings <laughs> situation? I mean, one thing, as we look back a little bit at the different combined conversations that we've had over the years, the one, sorry, the ones where we've always been right and predictive and, and have gotten and nailed this team uh, to a T. Well, if we said each year that they're stuck in the middle and they had no way of really breaking out uh, as long as they had a certain expensive older quarterback, then yes, we have been repeatedly right that that is where they have ended up landing. But you actually have to go back even farther than that. I would say even to when they first signed Kirk Cousins, where we didn't know what the results were going to be when they signed Cousins. And I was just talking to somebody last night, as we do around Indianapolis, about the 2019 Vikings, the last time they won a playoff game, which is crazy to think about that uh, you and I were probably doing our first or second combine podcast the time they won one playoff game. And you look around at how that roster was built and how long it took to put that thing together and how good it was and how many Pro Bowl talents there were and how far they got, not far enough, still didn't have the roster to get there. And I just think that if you are approaching this as the Vikings as, hey, we can get back there, we can win playoff games based on what we have right now, I just have so much trouble figuring out how that happens. And I saw somebody say it at the podium, one of the coaches or one of the GMs, that when you look at free agency, oftentimes you're looking for one more person or you're looking for one guy to fill in a spot. 
And the Vikings have so many needs that mm. their approach has to be building an entire team through free agency. And I just don't see how you could ever win doing that. And when I compare it, I go like, who could you get that could fill out this team to where it would even be reflective of what they had the last time they won a playoff game? And I just cannot figure that out. No, I mean, it's well, and I think everybody knows that on the Vikings, right? You know, Quasey's certainly a very smart guy. And I think Kevin O'Connell's, you know, quite bright, too. And and it's the nature of the NFL. I, I wrote for Sumer Sports last week, the, you know, the free agency proverbs. And the number one one is you don't win free agency. Like, you know, the, there was that classic Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2014 when Lovey Smith took over and he cut. Daryl Revis because he didn't fit into the cover two. And then he signed Alteron Werner, Brandon Myers, Clinton McDonald, and Michael Johnson. And, and Vikings fans will remember Michael Johnson because he's a, a Zimmer guy. And like the funniest part about that was Michael Johnson was off the bucks so fast that he signed with back with the Bengals the same year the Bengals got the comp pick they got for losing Michael Johnson in free agency. Like this is not a means by which you win free agency and the biggest example of it was when the vikings got kirk cousins and and in theory that should have been you know free agency is to patch holes and the 2017 vikings had a hole at quarterback that you know they 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 had a, a performance gap between case keenum and the kind of quarterbacks that traditionally win super bowls kirk cousins kind of cosplayed as that for washington for all those years they went into free agency they paid up right and in free agency the reason it doesn't work is because you are competing against other teams right one of the reasons why this justin jefferson deal that they're going to crank out with him and hopefully in all likelihood is going to be a deal as they're competing with themselves Right. They have they have the they have the benefit of time and they have the benefit of the franchise tag. They have one suitor for Justin Jefferson for as long as as they need to. In free agency, you're competing with all these other teams. And so you just don't get efficiency there. So the answer to your question, there really aren't any players in the open market that you could add to this Vikings team that could make them a Super Bowl contender. And that's daunting. And yet at the same time, if you get a young quarterback onto this team, as we've seen with the Houston freaking Texans who were in the direst of straits, you can be a contending team. That That's exactly the kind of precipice this team is on and the choice that they may, that they have to make, which is do you move, you, you bring in what's comfortable again, which is Kirk Cousins, or do you kind of wade in the waters that are uncomfortable? Because the other side of C.J. Stroud, of course, is Bryce Young. And so I, I keep thinking about how when you put together all the factors, when you put together the age, the injury that just happened, mm -hmm. how difficult it would be to sign and trade for other players to build a team immediately. The pressure that would come along with that for the front office and the coaching staff if you do bring back Kirk Cousins and the thin line that you would have to walk in order to actually make it work, which to me, there's only one route to get there, to make this work, to be in the playoffs, to be a legitimate contender, which would be to have a top five offense. That is the only way you could do it. Could you sign Saquon Barkley and a left guard and a number three wide receiver and then let Jesus take the wheel on defense? I mean, is that is that a possibility? Because I guess I, what I'm asking here is 
there still remains a good possibility. It feels like people in Indy think that Kirk Cousins is going somewhere else, but that's, you know, just the vibe. It's not a fact. And so he may at the last minute decide, you know what? The Vikings offer isn't my top offer, but I don't want to move to Vegas. Mm -hmm. I don't want to move to Denver or something like that. Well, yeah, Atlanta, I could see a little more, uh, but you know what I mean? Um, as far as like where Justin to move Fields to, but from Georgia, um, so that there you go. Things. That's that's what I was getting at. Is we keep hearing the like, well, you know, his wife's from Atlanta. Have you heard? Like, yeah, I've heard. Um, I don't know how much that would factor in, but the point is, like, he doesn't want to go to a new franchise. He's familiar. It's a really well-run team. The NFLPA survey, the Vikings just knock that out of the park, and the coach is a really good communicator and it just gets along with Kirk Cousins on a different level from anyone that he's ever worked with before. It seems so. All these things, if he decided to come back, that's the only plan I could come up with that I might actually say, you know what? I didn't think this was exactly the right way to go about it. But if you're going to do it, then try to go full Culpepper era. Who cares about the defense? Switch a wide receiver to corner if you have to. Like it just that would be the only route I could see actually having a chance to get them back into contention. But how does. okay? but how does. But eventually you have to eventually you have to build a defense, right? And and they and for all this team's warts, and they have a lot, I thought last year they they got to some places. They 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 moved the the ball forward in a lot of really smart places. I mean, under Adolfo Mensa and O'Connell, the offensive line has gotten much better. You know, Bradbury has has emerged and been become at least an average center. I thought Ed Ingram has been better than he was as a rookie. You know, Reisner is is a free agent, but he solidified. And then both tackles, I think, are cornerstones of this team. And then, you know, so that was a weakness under the old regime that has been mostly a strength under the new one. And then defensively, you know, you do have to figure out somebody to rush the passer. I mean, it's going to be a long season if you don't at least have some player that can do that. Linebacker has been a that they've gotten in the positive direction with Ivan Pace there, and then in the secondary, you have some real pieces in in guys like Bynum and guys like Metellus, uh, Blackman, uh, you know, players like that. Where I think that there's, and so do you really want to kind of turn the back on progress there? Because really, I, what what these next few years represent is you look at kind of Kansas City's. Way. Of course, Patrick Mahomes is the big reason, but the reason Kansas City won the Super Bowl this year is because their defense is incredibly resilient and they stack draft class after draft class of, you know, of kind of similar thinking of weak link systems and building the defense on players that uh, none of them are all that superstarish, other than maybe one, one or two guys. And to kind of like abandon that for Kirk Cousins, who's mid thirties and who's going to be expensive to me feels a little bit short-sighted and I get that it's comfortable, but I also think it's going to be uncomfortable because those Culpepper years were not the, the Culpepper years were half fun, right? Watching him drop back and throw touchdowns to Moss was incredible, but like ha- watching like Waswa Sarwanga try to cover somebody was not good. And like having to having your season uh, depend upon dime store cornerbacks is not i think what what quasi and kevin o'connell really want to hinge their third year of their you know four-year contracts to and when you think about even last year when you look at the totality of the numbers you could say wow you know they were an average defense they were pretty Mm -hmm. good 
But that means if you just look at that number that you didn't watch closely, which I know everyone in our audience did, but if the outside is saying, well, they, you know, they had an average defense last year, just bring back Hunter and, you know, add a piece or two. But it wasn't really. It was a defense that Brian Flores was pushing every single button. He was mashing the keyboard to get everything out of that defense he possibly could with schematics. But when push came to shove and they played Cincinnati, lots of weapons, when they played Detroit twice, they got run out of the building. And then Jordan Love, who was on fire at that point, they just couldn't cover anybody. And Daniil Hunter's doing his best to create pressure by himself, but he couldn't do it by himself. And how do you rebuild the Kansas City Chiefs defense, for example? just it's, It's a recent rebuild that we've all seen play out, and it had to be through the draft. And it has to be through adding one more guy, usually. One, one right. difficult decision, right? right? And, and in the case of the Chiefs, it was Tyreek Hill, who was an incredible player for them. And, you know, he's going to be a ring of honor player for them. And, you know, the same way that Kirk Cousins is probably going to make the, the Vikings ring of honor. But you have to make a difficult decision sometimes when you are trying to make five for one decisions and because that one player is going to be a pretty good player for you and Kirk has been a good player for the Vikings but you that there this this team is more than one player away and and that has been painfully obvious ever since you know the the ball has fallen off the table from 18 to 19 to 20 where where they went from a playoff contender to not and 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 Kirk has been part of the the reason that they've been held back to frankly the reason that they've been okay right and and I think that um and that's hard right like when you go when when he went from the reason that they were held back from Super Bowl contention to the reason that they were okay a lot of fans then kind of we're like, well, then he's got to be the reason they stay. And then that, that's what the counterintuitive part. It's like, no, actually, right? Like he, in, in many ways, he's got to be the reason you go. And, and in Kansas City, like Tyree Kill was the reason that their offense was phenomenal. But in a lot of ways, it was also the reason that they, that they as a franchise stagnated. Well, and they, uh, you know, they use the money for Chris Jones, who's another mm-hmm. elite player. Yep. And that's one thing the Vikings are really, truly lacking on defense. So when we talk about this free agency, could you get an elite player or could you take swings at players who might have a chance to have more upside? I mean, I think either one of those strategies makes sense to me, but you aren't going to rebuild a defense without hitting on draft picks. And one of the problems the Vikings have had in recent years, and this goes back probably three years into Spielman is on the offensive side, they landed two of the great players in the league on the defensive side. We've got nothing. I mean, Josh Metellus took years to uh, develop into a really difference making player. And that's like what the best thing on Rick Spielman's resume on defense in quite some time since 2015. And then the Vikings start off trying to rebuild their secondary with the Quasi Adolfo Mensa era by drafting three players in the secondary who don't play or are not good. And that also is crushing because if they hit on Lewisine, if they hit on Andrew Booth Jr., if they hit on a Caleb one of the three, or I mean, two of the three three could even get on the field. Yeah, you'd be you'd be doing better. But you needed one to be really good and the and another one to probably be serviceable. And you've got at this moment, nothing. Half a season of a Caleb Evans not being horrendous is not convincing to me. And that's where this upcoming draft is such a challenge because you go, all right, could you trade? three firsts to get Drake May or something, if that's what this calls for. And you go, yeah, okay. Like I'm I'm into that idea because he's going to be here for a while, but then 
you only have number 42 and then not till the fourth round again. They have been so severely lacking draft capital. And I was laughing about this the other day when I saw praise for Brad Holmes' draft. And I was like, well, if you give me five or six top 50 draft picks, but is it I could throw darts at a board and hit him. And that's not disrespect to Brad Holmes. He did a great job drafting. I just mean that this group has had very little draft capital to work with. They traded for Hawkinson. That's a good trade, but they've got very little top draft picks to try to rebuild these key areas, which is why I think this is not a one-year construction project. But the other side of the Hawkinson trade was a was the Lions knowing that they were in the middle of a rebuild. Like the, you know, the the fact of the matter is the this team has needed to this team made a choice that that was a- antithetical to the choice Detroit made, and you know I, I you know Quasey's part of the club, he's part of the analytics community, and he would tell you the same thing. Like Brad Holmes has all those picks, and people like me will skewer him for the Jameer Gibbs pick and the and the Jack Campbell pick. And Jack Campbell had a very bad rookie year, but it was overshadowed by the fact that Brian Branch and Sam Laporta had a great pick. You know when when you only pick once in the first few pick, you know, in the first few rounds or only, you know, three times in the first four rounds, you have to hit on, you know, whereas if you flip that, that math, it works out a lot better uh, in, in your favor. But and the same thing with Hawkinson, I mean, that, that Lions team was off to a one and six start. And instead of, you know, continuing to buy in, right. Continuing to, uh, you know, uh, throw good money at bad. They traded Hawkinson and they got those picks from Minnesota and then they turned it around and finished nine and eight. And, and so it's been, it's just sort of a contrast in approaches and where the Vikings are because they decided to go in on Cousins. And and it's not to go back and say, oh, you know, they made the wrong choices. I think a lot of Vikings fans are happy with three and, you know, 13 and four. And even last year, where I think a lot of the, the season was magical in some ways, the win in Atlanta, the win in, against New Orleans at home and stuff. But it's more to say, if you continue the path with cousins, right? If you continue the path of of trying to be competitive to an extent, you're always going to have these troughs of not having resources. So start the resource train now and kind of continue to move. Um, the thing about May and I or or J- or Jaden Daniels, whomever gets to the third pick, if you trade up, the one thing I will say, you will not have as much draft capital if you trade up for that, but you will have the cap space. And the cap space can, in some ways, buy you that draft capital, for example, if you take on bad contracts and trades during a down year or something like that. So um, it, it, is part of the, it is part of the calculus uh, associated with that. Well, and I also think, too, that when you have cap space, you can trade for younger players who their teams are not going Correct. to pay, but they're awesome. And that's the Bradley Chubb thing. That's the Tyreek Hill thing for the Miami Dolphins. That's the Montez Sweat yeah. thing. That's the DJ Moore thing in Chicago, it, the other division rival. It started to happen a lot because in a 32-team league in the year of 2024, teams understand timelines. And like you can't mm-hmm. just always try to be at the top. And a lot of teams, if they're like at the bottom, and this is not a Justin Jefferson point, stop it. Don't even think about that. But a lot of teams will consider trading these players and you could be the team on the other side that says, well, we have the cap space. So why don't we accept this? A lot of times, in fact, it will be teams that are competing, but need to sign other players or have a newly expensive quarterback or something um, like that. But, you know, Chicago trading for Khalil Mack when they had just drafted Mitch Trubisky. Imagine if Mitch Trubisky was just okay. They they would have been a very real Super Bowl contender because they they made that move. So mm-hmm. when you've got that, you've got its weight in gold. Um, so you don't always have to hit on the draft picks. But what are we supposed to make of this small sample 
of Quesida-Fomenza drafting because I think in life in general, first impressions and last impressions are the things that shape how our decisions are made. And just to give you two Vikings examples is the 2022 draft was everyone's first impression. Kwesi is supposed to be a genius. He's supposed to hack the draft. He is supposed to now run ahead of the other teams because he understands all the analytics and he trades way down. He doesn't get a first and he has four or five draft picks in a row that just don't work at all. And many of them are non-premium positions and you go, okay where was the analytics there wizard boy right like that's what everybody were you you genius princeton man where was it where was uh, you outsmarting the league and uh that all goes badly now history tells us it could have just as easily gone the other way like brad holmes drafting non-premium positions and having it work out but it didn't it didn't work didn't like it at the time. It hasn't worked out so far. And then last impressions are Kirk Cousins popping his Achilles while he's playing the best game of this season is another thing. Uh, so maybe some of that on both sides is overstated because Kwesi Adafalmenta has, I think, 14 total draft picks. And maybe Rick Spielman took 120 yep, players yep. or somewhere in that range. But at the same time, uh, we should be wondering, like, what is this approach going to be? How can it be better than it's been in the past where he has one and a half to two good draft picks so far in his first two swings at that? Like, what would be the analytical advice? What would be the thought process if uh, he was asking you, what should I do with this draft? Well, I think for one, you know, it's just not to let the past affect you, right? I mean, that's that's a huge one where – you know, if they're look, I wouldn't take a safety in the first round again. But if it was something like an edge player and it, it, it had that had a similar outcome as Lewis seen, you wouldn't want to not take an edge player again because you were quote bad at evaluating them. That that would be a, a, a faulty one. But I mean, if I was if I was you know advising here, I mean, to me this this is a draft where you have to really consider if you have an eval on one of those two quarterbacks, May or or Daniels. Now I. I'm not high, that high on Daniels relative to maybe the rest of the market. But if you guys do, and your and your coach, can, you know, sees a path to to him performing incredibly well, I think you do have to move up and, and get one of those guys. At some point, you have to get a quarterback into this room that is on a rookie contract, and you have to build around him, and that's got to be your quarterback. And Minnesota, be, you you talk about it. They, they're they have an incredible facility. They have incredible coaches. Um, you know, O'Connell has you know done a really good job with Cousins, even though and, and people don't really see this. Cousins' efficiency has not all, been all that great. I don't think he's performed even as well as he did. You know, even in the Clint Kubiak and and Gary Kubiak days, um, Stefanski days certainly. Uh, I think that you have a situation where you have a good possibility of being able to build around and especially with Jefferson being there you have a per and Hawkinson you have a really good opportunity to build around a young quarterback you are one of the franchises where it should be more successful than others and so you should lean into it while you know the Darishaws of the world and the Jeffersons and the Hawkinsons of the world are in their prime and, and and give it a shot because I don't think anything less than that is going to cut it in this division. Like, do you think that you know the Bears with the war chest that they're going to have, uh, whether or not if, whether it's Caleb Williams or the trade that they're going to make for the first pick, um, or or the Packers with Jordan Love and and how what he showed the last you know few months of the season and, and the playoffs, or even 
um, you know, Detroit and and you know that, how well they've been playing the last few years. Nothing short of moonshotting, which is which is a young quarterback, uh, is going to cut it in this division, let alone uh, this NFL. So that that would be my advice: is you really do have to identify the young quarterback uh, and, and do what it takes to get him in the building, because I don't think anything else uh, is really going to suffice. I mean, as we go over the many different situations and scenarios, there really is no other answer because uh, even if they did not draft quarterback and Kirk came back and you trade down or something, there's only so much you can gather and there's only so many spots you can fill and they're not going to close the gap between you and the contending teams. And so it just keeps coming back to, it's like all roads lead to, it's like, how do we rebuild the defense? Eh, Quarterback. And it's like, how do they draft better? Eh, Quarterback. (laughs) <laughs> Even look at Tampa Bay this year. Joe, Tampa Bay, you know, Brady leaves. They bring Baker Mayfield in, and they clean up the cups, right, from the party that was the 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 Tom Brady era. Make the playoffs. Everybody underachieves in that division, and yet they're still like they're, right. the Bucks aren't any closer to contending even after what I, what I think was a fun season for them and like a, a refreshing year they still got to cut Shaq Barrett this year they still got to you know they they still have to let Mike Evans walk in all likelihood and so it's still even and Baker Mayfield had a phenomenal year mm-hmm. Dave Canales probably the reason he had a great year is now in Carolina so right. you know congratulations it, it, there is one Try, there, so there are two tried and true ways of winning in the NFL: having a unicorn quarterback that you pay, and having a quarterback on a on a rookie deal that 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 you can build around. Um, the, no other way is really is really going to help you win football games. And um, and the Vikings are at, in neither situation. And, and as good as Kirk Cousins has been at times, um, he qualifies as neither. And 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 that's a tough reality to face. Folks, have you ever heard of test driving a phone network? I did not make this up. It is an actual thing. And U.S. Cellular is letting you test drive their network for free for 30 days. You can try out U.S. Cellular wherever you have that spotty service, like on your commute to work, that one spot in your house where your service dips. Test drive U.S. Cellular at your kid's school on parent-teacher night. Okay, maybe still pay attention, but by all means, make sure you test it. It's as easy as doing a little boop, boop, boop on your phone. That was me getting the app to try it out. I know, great sound effects there. Test Drive U.S. Cellular's award-winning network for 30 days. U.S. Cellular built for us. Terms apply. Awards based on open signal independent data. Visit uscellular.com for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
And, you know, the AFC has been drafting these quarterbacks for a long time, mm-hmm. and the NFC gets Bryce Young and immediately is not working out. <laughs> but I wouldn't completely count him out. Now you're talking about potentially Caleb Williams, Drake May coming into the conference. So that's two young guys, potentially. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is what's going to happen or not. There's everybody saying everything at this point, but there are multiple NFC teams that need to draft these quarterbacks. And that's just more teams that are getting more of a head start on you. But the funny thing about this Vikings roster is it's both one of the most empty rosters in the league is just far as starting positions. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of the best offensive situations for a young quarterback, which is <laughs> that feels wrong to say that a team could be really well set up for the quarterback and also still really far away for the rest of the parts. And it can both be a competitive side with the offense, but your defense it needs several years to rebuild this, which is obviously a reason not to bring back Kirk, but very unique in that way. I mean, normally if you're a team that's talking about drafting a quarterback and you're in a bad spot, that we usually are talking about, like, oh, you need receivers, you need yeah. offensive you linemen, clean, and so forth. you got to right. clean things up a this little This is bit. a whole clean slate situation, and it's almost like Kirk's Achilles and, and Dobbs' you know, wins hurt this, but his Achilles popping is, is the situation that you kind of needed, in yeah. a way, to be in position to draft one of these quarterbacks. But let me ask you about the quarterbacks. Um, how do we figure out who we're supposed to like? And this is me coming off just doing an article saying nobody has any idea whoever it, uh, is going to work out. But you have now looked at these numbers for so long with quarterbacks in the draft. I mean, how do we go about figuring this thing out of who is even going to be first round prospects? Because Everyone I talk to has wildly different opinions on, well, some people think Penix could be a first rounder. Some people think he's a third rounder. Some people think McCarthy is top 10. And some people think he's a second round pick. And the same with Bo Nix. I mean, even Jaden Daniels and Drake May, there's people out there saying, well, you know, he could be the one who drops. It's basically only everyone thinks Caleb Williams is good. And then everything else is who the hell knows. Yeah, I think that you really have to look at do the do people think that the guy has special arm talent is the first one mm-hmm. like that that to and, and that doesn't sound analytical at all but it, it when you look at the history of the position there haven't been that many players who have done all that well of late mm-hmm. that have not had the special arm talent because you know since the 2011 CBA offensive lines have been bad and developing offensive lines has been hard for the NFL and so and and that time you need to get to be where Peyton Manning was or Drew Brees was or Tom Brady was where you were protected for all those years and then you had that superpower where you could protect yourself. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been all that easy to get for a lot of these young guys, right? And generally speaking, those those lower pedigree quarterbacks fall into great places. You know, even like Mac Jones year one fell into a good place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brock Purdy fell into a good place. But those guys, if they were taken high by these teams, would stink right away. You know, like that. So if you're taking a guy high, he has to have elite arm talent. He has to have good athleticism. Like those two things are, you know, from a traits perspective, those have to exist. Mm -hmm. And then from a statistical standpoint, there's a few things to me. Sack avoidance is the big one. And and in this class, sack avoidance is tough because the top end guys are not particularly good. Mm -hmm. Jaden Daniels is going to have the highest – 
percentage of pressures that turn into sacks of any first round quarterback in the PFF era. Uh, so that's going to be a precedent that is going to be hard. Guys like Justin Fields um, had all the great metrics. And before any of us uncovered the fact that this was a sticky one, Patrick Mahomes in his career, his college pressure to sack ratio and his NFL pressure to sack ratio per PFF are one tenth of a percent apart. It's a really stable statistic. Um, you know, Drake May is about six percentage points lower, but he's still on the high end. It's about eight, 18 percent. Uh, Caleb Williams is the same. Caleb Williams and Drake May both regressed in that statistic last year when Jaden Daniels got better. Um, Michael Penix and Bo Nix are both really good, both, you know, sub uh, in the case of Penix, sub 10 percent in that. And Bo Nix also similar. But again, they, those guys kind of played in Mickey Mouse offenses. And so that that's a question mark. But that's the biggest statistic is like if I'm going to draft a guy high, he's probably going to go to a, an offense with a bad Offensive line, although Minnesota's maybe not in that situation, he's got to be able to avoid sacks if he's under pressure. And then the other, and then you just look at things like accuracy. And I think in the case of JJ McCarthy, who a lot of people are are moving in, you know, with Minnesota, is did his offense trust him? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in basketball, you know, it's it's about you know Kyle Korver has a you know a really good career three point shooting percentage, you know, a similar to a guy like Steph Curry, but. He's not the one taking off the dribble three-point shots at the end of the shot clock. It's what your team asked you to do. And J.J. McCarthy's a winner. You know, he's won. He has a ton of really good statistics. Even on third and fourth down, what his team asked him to do. But his team didn't ask him to do all that all that many difficult things. So I, I want my team – I want my quarterback to be from a place where they asked him to do difficult things. So those are the things that I'm looking for in a quarterback. To your point, though. A lot of these things have very mild predictive power because yeah. it's just really hard. I mean, I, Patrick Mahomes went eight picks behind Mitch Trubisky. I mean, this is an inning. Last year, C.J. Stroud. I mean, there was a team that took $200 million of assets, you know, willingly and moved up to one to take a quarterback who's five foot ten and draft him ahead of C.J. Stroud. You know, so this isn't an exact science. No, it really is. And that's why with uh, I wrote a very sarcastic piece on the newsletter just about, hey, you'll never believe it. The quarterbacks have flaws. Yeah, Like yeah. they always – and then I took all the flaws of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and so yeah. forth from the draft analysis of those years and pointed them out because that's always going to be what we do is we overanalyze every single thing. And my question is – how the NFL views the projectability of these players. I mean, I think Bo Nix is maybe more limited for upside and how much the NFL can teach him. But at the same time, he could be kind of a field general type with a little bit of playmaking. And, you know, I think that there's something to be said for that because we've seen that work under the right circumstances with the right offense. Uh, But McCarthy is a, if it comes together, then he's got the arm talent to really Mm -hmm. fire it. And they might be looking at that as well. And my answer is, okay, like just whichever guy you like is fine with me, which is not a hot take that you're supposed to have in draft season. But that is mostly my take. Let me ask you just one more thing. Uh, You are a Minnesotan. So you grew up with the whole thing. You talk about the Chiefs. You like the Chiefs, but you know. It's not the same. Uh, the The Vikings get in your blood by being from Minnesota. What draft pick that the Vikings made as you were growing up were you the most excited about that never worked out, that you were like, oh, man, this is a great pick for them. This guy's going to be the difference maker, game changer, world beater, some would say, okay. that failed? Well, 
the the worst the worst thing that I can say to trigger everybody is Randy Moss because they never won a Super Bowl with Moss. Oh, and, and 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 of course Moss worked out, but like they never won a Super Bowl. And when Moss came in, I thought that they were going to win a million Super Bowls. And but of course Moss worked. Um, the one hmm. I'm always like I've always had like that statistical mind where I've I've thought that that I thought that they were I've always been pretty tepid about about draft picks and so um, so you never had one that you I'm, I'm thinking super I'm thinking, jacked about and thought this guy is going to be great you were always skeptical of the Vikings drafts the soulless analytic okay person? here's one John David Booty. <laughs> I hey, thought the USC he, quarterback. He never was played. A thing. He, he never played a game for the team. Yep. I think he was the 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 second active quarterback. Like he was the like the second string quarterback in a game behind Tavares Jackson when Gus Farad had like a broken back one game. But he like literally never gone on the field. And um, that was the year they traded to Kansas City. Uh, a one and two threes, and that the was Jamal Charles, Brandon Albert, and I think one other player, and they got Jared Allen, and so they took someone named Tyrell Johnson in the second round who sucked, and then they took uh, John David Booty in the fifth round. John Sullivan was in that draft too as a good center, um, but I thought John David Booty was actually like going to be like a real quarterback for that team, and uh, yeah, didn't work. There's nothing quite like believing in someone in the fourth or fifth or sixth round yeah. for no reason whatsoever, other than you just I like is this it, guy. Isn't it the craziest though? I knew him. Lauren Woods, I thought would work out for the Timberwolves in the second round, but I was so, you know, you remember when um, uh, who was Joe uh, Joe Smith? I was so like wolves pilled when I was a kid because you know they they signed Joe Smith under the table, so they didn't have the first round picks for like five right. straight years. So every year you had to like talk yourself into the second round pick. And I thought Lauren Woods had a shot because every center that ever played for the Wolves is terrible, and mm-hmm. so he was. But like, I, so my I so I could tell you immediately who my answer was for the Wolves, but for the Vikings, no. I mean, like. I always kind of thought Michael Bennett would be okay, like okay, but I, I, I always, you know, uh, I was geeked out about Randy Moss, but Randy Moss was good, like you know, Dante Culpepper. I was kind of tepid about Dante Culpepper. Um, Teddy Bridgewater maybe is another one, and it didn't work out. But I don't think Teddy Bridgewater didn't work out because he sucked. It was circumstances was more more the situation. But even then, I, I think the one that that ultimately was an absolute flop that I actually thought had a shot was John David Booty. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean is that everybody does this. So last year when the Vikings drafted Jaron Hall, the number of people who were like, oh, I'm I'm in. Jaron Hall, I just watched his highlights. I'm in. I saw people are doing film breakdowns, and they're just like, oh, look at this out route. (laughs) And you're like, bro, that's BYU. Uh, But there's an irrational love for the mid to late quarterback. Maybe it's Brady. Maybe it's just quarterback is so interesting. And then the USC John David Booty connection. It was just such a thing. They had pumped out NFL quarterback after NFL quarterback. It just that makes sense. That's a good answer. Don't take back that answer. Since I've been covering the team, it's really the wrong guest that I have been is I thought Treadwell was going to be awesome. Because I, I just watched him in college, yep. he was so dominant. And when they drafted Brian O'Neill, and I saw him in rookie minicamp, I was like, 
that that's a tight end cannot be an offensive tackle yeah, yeah, yeah. it just absolutely cannot be and i was like what are they doing and then it turns out that he put on all the weight and also the dude is just a beast like yep. he's just a really great player and he cares and all that so uh sometimes we're right sometimes we're wrong and we'll see how that all turns out and we'll have a lot more to talk about as free agency unravels here and the decision is made so we'll have to have you back after the decision is made at quarterback for the Vikings. So I hope you have a good time in Indy. Thanks for stopping by. Good Thanks stuff, for man. having me. It's been fun. Football. Football. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider inside the Indiana Convention Center here at the NFL Combine. Matthew Collar with you, along with Max Chadwick, who is the college football analyst for Pro Football Focus. Great to have you on, Max. How are you enjoying your week, man? You enjoying the indie buzz? This is your first time, right? In no, second time. second time. Second okay. time. Yeah, I love I love it here, man. Honestly, and honestly, man, it's so cool being on with you. I was telling you before, I literally was reading your book like the last couple weeks. So the fact that I'm talking to you right now, man, I mean, you taught me more about PFF than working at PFF for three years has taught me, honestly. So, it, I mean, that book is phenomenal. Check it out if you haven't already. But uh, yeah, man, it's, it's cool to be talking to you now, man. Look who's going to be returning to the podcast many <laughs> times. It's Max. Uh, well, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's great. Uh, there's been a lot of feedback on it. I, I did hear from a person that it was, quote, bouncing around our front office from a person mm-hmm. in the league that uh, they were reading it. So I, I've been very thrilled and uh, was happy to tell that story. Yeah. So, I, again, football is a numbers game is the book <laughs> if you didn't uh, get it. But uh this week has been very interesting for me to go around in the evening times mm-hmm. and I will just ask people, how do you feel about JJ McCarthy? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is, that has been my way. So, Hey, what was the buzz in Indy? Well, no one can decide what they feel about JJ McCarthy. Mm-hmm. So I, I need to get your take on that. But I also want to ask you a question about Michael Penix. Okay. Because as I was watching Michael Penix play football all year, I was mm-hmm. like football. All right. <laughs> we got something here and you know, I'm paying attention to right. the quarterback class and, you know, even some of his bad games, he still found a way to win, grinded it out. And I was like, man, it's just it's like this guy he looks like a Kevin O'Connell quarterback with yeah. his big arm and throwing the ball deep to Roma Dunze, mm-hmm. who you could see being Justin Jefferson. And then I arrive here and everyone's like, yeah, I don't even talk about that guy. Like <laughs> that guy, he doesn't, he doesn't matter. He's nobody. Yeah. And I'm like, what? So why has Michael Penix disappeared out of the conversation uh, for quarterbacks this year? I think the big thing that I would say that for Michael Penix Jr. is that, you know, everyone thought he's a top 10 pick, top 15 pick all year. Mm-hmm. The buzz around the league has always been, hey, the media is way higher on, on Michael Penix Jr. than the actual NFL. So I think people, I think the media has kind of adjusted to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the big question for him, and it will hopefully be answered this week at the combine, is the medical injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, the two torn ACLs in Indiana, shoulder injury in Indiana. I think he had four season-ending injuries in his career. Now he's been healthy for two years, which is mm-hmm. great, and you want to see that. But medicals are huge for him this week. He's throwing at the combine, which is great, too. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's been weird. I, I'm still very high on him. I still might take him in the first round. Um, I don't know about high, as high as number 11 overall, but uh, yeah, I think that's kind of been, I think the media is just adjusting to what the actual NFL feels about him. I think that's, that's why he's kind of slipping to day two conversation. And I also wonder about just everybody got super high on him after the Texas game. Right. And you can literally see this if you go to like the mock draft database mm-hmm. or grinding the mocks or whatever. And you can see where the mock drafts sort of just gain momentum right after the Texas game. Like this guy's a top 15 pick. The mock drafts had him up there. And then he plays against Michigan and go like, no, 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 no. Forget about that guy, which is a silly way to do it right. because he has a big sample size of playing really good football. Uh-huh. And I don't want to overreact to one game. I also don't want to overreact from, well, the league thinks this because 
We haven't been really good at figuring that out no. actually, right? Yes. Over yeah. the years. So should I should I like hold steady on the fact that I actually like Michael Penix? You should hold steady, man. I think the, that's a really funny thing that you brought up is the Texas game and then right into the Michigan game because you know my coworker Steve Palazzolo made the joke. He's like, man, if Ewers completed that final pass and Texas wins that game, Michael Penix Jr. is probably a top fifteen pick. Like that could have been the best thing for his stock was to lose that game because then he would never play Michigan and then we'd never know what happened. Of course, Michigan's got eleven NFL defenders on that defense right. with and Jesse Minter, our defensive coordinator, is now an NFL defensive coordinator. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's silly to overreact to one game like that, but I do think that kind of left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, honestly. And it, the other thing, when he was playing so well, there's a lot you have to kind of leave off to make him a first round pick, which is the medical history and so forth. And uh, we went through this a bit with Sam Bradford where he was healthy, like for the Eagles for a year, he was healthy for a year with the Vikings. But eventually if you've gone through that much, that many surgeries, that many issues that it does add up over time. And what the difference between the way I look at things and the way the NFL looks at things is my opinion on quarterbacks is, look, if you draft a guy and in his rookie contract, Mm -hmm. you can get somewhere, then you succeeded and great job. And don't worry about anything after that. But teams tend to say, look, if we're investing a first round pick in a quarterback, Mm -hmm. then we need this guy to be our 10 year franchise quarterback. He needs to sign a second extension or the pick is a failure. And so for me, it would be like, well, okay, if you could bring in Michael Penix and he's good, he throws deep bombs and you, Mm -hmm. you you can win games on his rookie contract, then that's a total success. I just don't think the league generally views it that way because you're sort of signing off on like, this is our guy. It's the GM head coach quarterback trifecta. Right. And it can't just be somebody, even though we've seen somebody's kind of have success under those circumstances. Yeah, of course, everyone wants the next Patrick Mahomes right now. I mean, it's like, there's only one, honestly, but yeah, yeah. Michael Penix jr. I think the other thing with him uh, is the age. I, I think there's some NFL teams. He's a six year senior been in college for a long time, obviously with the four season ending injuries. So I think there's some teams who kind of look at him as kind of a, a finished product and they might look at a guy like JJ McCarthy and say, oh, we can mold him into something that, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, maybe he'll end up being Michael Penix jr. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of the thing too. Again, I, I still really like him i still think he should be late first round pick early second round pick but i mean i've heard from a lot of people around here like they're like oh you know he's he's going third round i'm like dude how you watched his 2023 tape and you say third round of that i don't get understand that so i yeah i think he should still be a high pick okwasi adafo mensa brought up something very interesting with us in regards to older quarterbacks where he said that you know somebody staying for a fifth or the covid year Mm -hmm. uh he looked at it more like there's no minor league system in football, but mm-hmm. that would be as close as you could get as having that opportunity to develop. And one of the issues that quarterbacks have just in general is there are very few opportunities to develop. Right. There's going to be the UFL. There's been the XFL, but those are not even used that way. The teams don't send their guys down. Mm-hmm. It would be really cool if they did, and maybe someday they will, but that's not how it works. So just more reps and more time on task for those quarterbacks him and Bo Nix in particular might ultimately be a good thing, but it's really unprecedented. We kind of don't no. know whether that's a good thing or not because all of us looked at Chris Winkie and Brandon Whedon and said, well, neither one of those guys worked out, so you can never draft yeah. an old guy. <laughs> and then Hendon Hooker uh, was the same kind of thing, also had the ACL, but same sort of deal where it's like, ah, he's too old and so forth. We actually don't have a big enough sample size on this 
because it never happened before to really know if it's going to be a problem or if it could actually help them. Yeah. And the one guy who like was old that actually ended up working out was Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow only played like two years of college football. You know, he he sat for a few years. So like this, these I mean, Bo Nix has been playing college football for five years and he started all five years. Michael Penix Jr. has been starting basically his entire career as well. So it is going to be I think that's the thing that they have an advantage over J.J. McCarthy. J.J. is still raw in a lot of aspects. Penix and Knicks, I kind of trust day one. If you in a pinch need to start them day one. I feel better about starting those two guys and JJ McCarthy. Yeah, and I there's a, another part of it too that is just because he's younger doesn't mean he actually will reach the ceiling. Right. But it, it's a thing that coaches love and teams love is when we draft him and then we'll develop him. And once our get our, our yeah. hands the hubris on him, of yeah, thinking it, like yeah. yeah, you could do it. Right, yeah. exactly. And there's very different ways to look at this because sometimes, and uh, my friend Chris Trapasso from CBS, this drives him nuts when we say <laughs> the league this, the league that because. There's a wild amount yeah. of opinions for hunt, right. and we see them all here. You know, there's <laughs> so many people in so many organizations. Uh, we could say if a guy drops to the second round when we think he's the first, well, yes, the league didn't like mm-hmm. Will Levis, for example. Right. But usually, if you ask a hundred NFL people, you get uh, you know a total myriad of opinions. Mm-hmm. And McCarthy is that way for me. It's I've just been going up to people and saying, "What do you think about McCarthy?" <laughs> and I have gotten everything from this guy is going to go sixth overall yep. to this guy deserves to be a second round pick. So where do you stand on uh, McCarthy? I've I've heard like QB two talk, which I think is is crazy, but I, I like him. I I think he should be a first round pick. I, again, I'm a little scared of taking him with the expectation that he's going to be your guy day one. I mean. Michigan rarely threw. I mean, that Penn State game, he didn't throw a pass in the second half. That was a close game. Uh, so he really has not been, I don't think, relied on too much. to. Uh, yes, he won a national championship. Uh, and as Dave Safar will let us know time and time again. But he actually wasn't really relied on too much to actually do that. I mean, he was a terrific quarterback for them. But I, I kind of want to draft him. And, of course, in the first round, it never really happens anymore. But I look at a situation like the Patrick Mahomes situation where you draft him, let him sit for here by Alex Smith. Jordan Love sat for a few years. That's the kind of thing I want for J.J. McCarthy. Will it actually happen? Probably not. But as for the teams that are looking at him right now, but I think that's kind of – if you do that, I feel really good about it. If you draft him say, okay, day one, he's the guy, I'm a little worried about ruining his development that way. You know (sighs) – And maybe the Jordan Love and Patrick Mahomes success stories and Vikings fans don't like when I say Jordan Love is successful, but (laughs) sorry, Uh, he's won as many playoff games now as Kirk Cousins in his career. So I don't know what to tell you, but (laughs) these development stories may inspire. But we always think that every time it happens, because yeah. we were referencing Aaron Rodgers for years because teams would never actually do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some opportunities for teams to do something like this, uh, but you have to have a very stable coaching situation mm-hmm. where, you know, like Andy Reid was not getting fired after they went to the playoffs with Alex Smith. Uh, the Vikings, I think, are in that spot. I yeah. mean, they just gave Kevin O'Connell, an A plus from the NFL. I saw that. Yeah. The only guy to get it, which tells you what he's done for that locker room. There are also a number of veteran quarterbacks that are on the market or mm-hmm. the Vikings could bring back Kirk Cousins. To me, if you're in transition, it wouldn't make sense to spend that much guaranteed money on a veteran quarterback. Right. But there is the Baker Mayfield. There is the Gardner Minshew. There are guys out there who you could play and stay competitive with. And I think the Vikings don't have an ownership that would just be demanding McCarthy play if they were to draft him. So I think if we're trying to map out ideal locations for him, Minnesota is probably one of them. It absolutely is. Yeah, I think Minnesota, especially if they bring back Kirk Cousins, which I've heard some talk. I mean, you know better than me if they actually are going to do that or not. But oh, I don't. No one does. They don't. <laughs> 
They don't. I'm sure they that don't. No one knows if uh, if he's coming back yet, so we'll see. But carry on. Yeah, of course. If they bring him back, though, I love that if you take J.J. McCarthy. Because then all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins is 35 years old. You get two years or so of him probably, and then J.J. takes over after that. I feel great about that. Atlanta at eight, they – I mean – Raheem Morris even said, he's like, we're upgrading a quarterback this year. We are going into next year with a better quarterback situation. They take J.J. McCarthy. He's going to play immediately. It's not going to be Desmond Ritter and then J.J. McCarthy. So uh, that worries me. But, yeah, Minnesota, if they, especially if they bring back Kirk or even sign someone like Gardner Minshew or someone, then I feel a little bit better saying, okay, you know what, J.J. can sit for a little bit and then take over, maybe even his rookie year. But I think day one, him being the guy, that's when I'm, I get a little nervous about that. So my skepticism on J.J. McCarthy is I didn't see him as a sharp passer. Mm-hmm. Like, I see the velocity – but I don't see the precision when he throws the ball. And the thing that the football people would know, Kevin O'Connell would know better than me, is what's correctable, what can be sharpened up. And I don't know that when it comes to this. Like, that's the thing that concerns me is that it's a little bit like there's a lot of velo there, but sometimes it's just all the time. Yes, There isn't touch on the pass. And if he has to throw like a 15-yard hitch or something, Mm timing accuracy it's a little sprayed and i don't think he's a good enough athlete and we're going to find out right here but i don't think he's a good enough athlete to be making like oh well anthony richardson wasn't that accurate yeah. or yeah, i mean even jalen hurts who is or josh allen like those guys are the 99th percentile type of athletes i don't know that you can make that case with him so i think we've seen a lot of flawed quarterbacks who we think oh we can fix them but it's really only the elite athletes who have been fixed that's my skepticism and also i just someone's gonna have to point me toward a first round quarterback who never threw the ball Uh, yeah right exactly even anthony richardson he was their whole offense yes and Penix is their whole offense and Knicks is their whole offense and joe burrow is the whole like which first round quarterback was like this i can't really find too many of them and i think that's fair to at least bring up that's you're talking about him that's what makes it so difficult is you watch him and you're like dude he's just handing the ball off to quorum like 50 percent of the time or at least 60 percent of the time even too so yeah I, that's the thing that scares me too is like i just don't know what he is yet you know I, I almost thought if jim harbaugh came back i thought jj might even return for another year be the guy and then we'll see what, what he is from there but yeah now he's kind of entering this draft and he, like you said he's biggest i mean he controls the nfl draft basically because wherever he goes the dominoes will fall from there so uh, yeah, again, I- I'm a little worried about him just because I just don't know who he is. Whereas a guy like Bo Nix or Michael Penix Jr. But that's the thing with him, too, is that the allure with him is that he could be a lot better than them. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you're seeing teams think, OK, we can develop in- into that. Whereas Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., who they are is who they are. J.J. McCarthy is is kind of one of the guys with a higher ceiling probably than one of them. So that's why I think he's kind of going to go over them ultimately in the draft. And sometimes that whole floor ceiling thing, we just don't know what we're doing. No, like, I mean, no. How about this? A good example. Brock Purdy, you would have said this dude's ceiling is to be, you would have probably said a Kirk, but you would have said less, I yeah. think, even less, Where well, based on where he was drafted. Kirk was a fourth round pick. You would have never said he could even be a starter. No. And if he did, you would have thought, well, this is going to be a game manager. It's not right. somebody that just based on his draft status and so forth. And then he is an MVP caliber player. Right. And even with Jalen Hurts, the, the idea was that his passing was never going to be good enough for him to be that great. 
and circumstance just controls so much with these yes. guys. Yes. And that's where it makes it so hard for me to try to project. But I, I do think if you're talking about best circumstances for any of these quarterbacks, take the the maximum of what you think they can be with Minnesota mm -hmm. because you have the greatest wide receiver on earth. Yep. And you have a coach who this is his thing. Like even look at the Vikings coaching staff. They're adding more and more people to the past game. Yeah. Like they want the, whoever is their quarterback to succeed and uh, running be damned. But uh, what is your hottest take on any other quarterback before we move to some other stuff? Because I, I, I know that there's a possibility the Vikings will draft other players. Yes. So uh, what is what is your take that you feel like deviates on any of the quarterbacks Ooh. from the most common uh, held opinions. I, okay, so I don't know if this really deviates from people, but to me, I think the top three guys are clearly the top three. I, I think Caleb Williams is in a tier of his own. I think Drake May is, is in a tier of his own, and I think Jaden Daniels is in a tier of his own. I've heard people who I've heard you see. I mean, Bill Belichick yesterday said I think Jaden Daniels is the number one player in this draft. So I mean, there are people who I've heard have Jaden Daniels above Drake May. Bill Belichick has him above Caleb Williams. To me, I think it's pretty clear four, five, six, and below. You could have any order you want, really, and I and I would understand it. But to me, I think the top three is the top three, and if they don't go in that order, I think it would be a, a pretty big mistake, in my opinion. Each of them have franchise quarterback talent. That, right, that would be, and then there's in my mind a steep drop off yes. to the next level. But sometimes we think that, and then the guys on the next level end up working out. You know, it's not always yeah. the first quarterback, second quarterback. But as far as their potential to be special, yeah, to be the Mahomes, the Allen, the Stroud it really feels like it's a three-man draft, which mm. is why we're discussing, do you trade up? Can you get somebody to help you trade up? Yeah. And Daniels is such an interesting one to me because when I watch, sometimes like my eyeballs bleed because I just, <laughs> you know, I when I only cover NFL right. and then I watch college stuff and he takes some of the hits he takes yes, and he's slow on some of the, you know, getting rid of the football right. or takes off when he has open guys. I'm just like, no, that's not <laughs> what the NFL does. And you almost have to take like you can be concerned, but also have to take that back a little bit because you're just every player is going to have to adapt. Right. So I don't even know how to weigh these things properly. It's the same with Drake May's erratic nature where you're like, all right. He is erratic, but he's also in college. And the, 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 every single quarterback comes in has a lot that they have to change. So what can you change with those guys? But each of them have this superpower right. where it's Drake May's arm is deep accuracy. Yep. It's Caleb Williams playmaking. It's gestures at everything with yeah. Jaden Daniels. I mean, the, <laughs> the deep ball, the running ability. So how, how do you kind of weigh all of that? Like the criticisms of what we see of these guys versus like what? They can become well as a college football guy. You know, I watch a lot of bad college football. Oh yeah. So when I what like I'm watching like the Rice games and I'm like, and then you know it's a nice palate cleanser when you watch Caleb Williams. Like okay, this is what it looks like. So I understand from the NFL perspective when you watch it. Like okay, like that's not how it works. Um, but yeah, those guys, man. I mean, I, I think the thing that makes me think that Caleb and Drake are clearly above. They have been starting for Drake two years, Caleb three years. We have known nothing but elite play from them. Yep. Jaden Daniels, it took him five years to get to this level. Now he's here now, which is I think it matters. I and mean, look at Joe Burrow, it took him five years too, and he, he's doing just fine for himself right now. But I think the thing with Caleb is like he was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school. We knew he was the guy. He took over Spencer Rattler's job immediately. I mean, he led the first game he played basically was he led them on a, a comeback against Texas, which is the biggest game of the year for them. And so I think that's the thing is like he's always been the guy. And I think talking yourself out of him that's a mistake. Now, of course, it does matter situation-wise, in which I think you made a great point. I mean, like Patrick Mahomes, is he Patrick Mahomes if the Bears took him number two? 
Probably not. I mean, he's, he's you know, got wrapped into a really good situation. Obviously, he's made the most of it and then some. But I think that's a really key thing, too, is like, I don't know how they're going to be in their careers, obviously, until I see where they go. But I, I do think that, you know, right now, I think it's a pretty clear top three of, of Caleb and then Drake and then Jaden Daniels. So should the Vikings not need a quarterback, although they, you know, they will have a second round draft pick right. as well. It's not a great situation when you draft, I think, 42 and then something like 104 yeah. uh, where the Vikings are. They um, it's easier to struggle in the draft when you have very few picks than yes. it is if you have a million picks and everyone forgets about the busts and loves the success yes. stories like, uh, say, the Detroit Lions. But they are going to pick other players mm. and. I have just a big red pen circled around defensive line. Yep. What is your feeling on the strength of the defensive line draft? Maybe going into the second round, maybe the first round, depending on where the Vikings stand here. And they really need difference making players they, because they if do. they lose Daniel Hunter, then they have a grand total of zero difference making <laughs> players. So they would need one yes. at least yes. in this draft. <laughs> yeah, they would. And I think, I think that's a really interesting spot for them at 11 because I think the edge class is, unlike the quarterback class, it is wide open. And, that, and the corner class too, um, which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah, the edge class I think is so wide open. I love Lyatulata from UCLA. Now, I might be that might be for me from a college perspective because he was so good in college, whereas a guy like Dallas Turner probably has a higher ceiling than him. But yeah, I think those guys... That would be an interesting way for them to go at 11. I mean, even if you go in the interior, like Byron Murphy has been rocketing up draft boards. John, I love Johnny Noon from Illinois. He's not he's not going to go a number 11. He might actually be there when you guys pick at 42. But um, I, I think that if you really want to go on the defensive line, I think you might have your pick of whatever edge you want. Because I don't know if there will be an edge that goes in the top 10, honestly. That's what it seems like, that there's no real perfect Aiden Hutchinson no, type of no. level prospect. And... My theory about the edge rushing position is you should either draft it super high or not draft it at yeah, all. Yeah, agreed. Uh, because there's just this whole, well, we'll just you know work with his tools and stuff and the high ceiling. The mm. number of guys that the Vikings drafted, oh, well, he's got a high ceiling. He's lanky. He's explosive. <laughs> if he was any good and he's that physically gifted, he would be a first-round pick. Exactly. And there's a reason why he's not. And usually special comes with the Miles Garrett. It doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. There's Max Crosby. Everyone could always throw an outlier. But most of the guys are drafted at the very top that are going to be difference makers. I look at the interior pass rush as the hardest thing to find in the NFL yeah. other than quarterback. Yeah. You can find almost any other position. But if teams get an interior pass rusher, they do not let them go. No. They retire with that team most <laughs> of the time. Like, And if there's an opportunity to get one in the draft, that's that's the guy I think you should go after before a defensive end. Yeah, I, I like that, too. And that's why I think Johnny Newton at 42, if he lasts there, I don't know if he will or not, but if he lasts there, I think it would be a, a home run pick. The defensive tackle from Illinois, um, he has been for two years. He's been one of the best pass rushers in college football. He had a Jones fracture in his foot that he played the whole second half of the season on, and he was still grading out as one of the best defensive tackles in college football. So I think he's a stud. He's a great run defender, too. Um, if he's there at 42, I think that is a home run pick, maybe my favorite pick in the entire draft. Um, but if not, I mean, I think Byron Murphy could be an option at 11. I don't know if I would take him at number 11, but he's got a super high ceiling. And yeah, you made a great point. Like the edge rushers, we kind of know, like we know here in Indy, like who's the mm -hmm. top guys. And we're going to find out who the top athletes are. That's, an, that's a position that's so reliant on athleticism that we'll kind of know who the guys are. They won't be available. And I agree with you. If you're not taking them first round, you're not going to find a starter probably. So 
Now, are you against the team having two players named Byron Murphy? That would be the yeah, that would be a problem. I don't know. How uh, would you put the name on the jersey? Honestly? Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess it would just be the same, like two players wearing number zero or something. Yeah. A college team, offensive and defensive. Uh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> one of them is junior, and the other one is maybe the second or something. Okay. Uh, yes, so they, I, they put the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, maybe do, do something like that. But Byron, I know Byron Murphy is junior, so I guess yes. they would just have to put the junior. Uh, on it now i'm even questioning myself is he byron is he true anyway uh i am just kidding but speaking of byron murphy though the vikings only corner is byron murphy uh they have makai blackman who i thought had a very good rookie year and he i think by pff was maybe the third or fourth highest graded uh, rookie corner so he stepped in and he seemed to fit with brian flores i think he was handpicked by brian flores yeah but they don't have a guy. They don't have a shutdown, like difference making, super freak athlete type of cornerback. And it showed yeah. last year. And what you had was Brian Flores trying to, like, all right, everybody hang back and just tackle, <laughs> like, if you can. <laughs> Not, hey, we can island Xavier Rhodes like right. they could uh, years ago. We haven't really discussed corner because defensive line is just such an epic need for them right now. But is there a corner that you would take at 11 should the Vikings be there? Or is there one for 42 that you could see as a ceiling guy mm-hmm. that, or something like that? Uh, because this, you could tell how many needs this team has. Yes. Like, my gosh, it's everywhere. But corner <laughs> is the one that has not been talked about a whole lot that I think is serious. I think it is, too. And I think that's kind of where I've been looking for them uh, in this draft is that corner. Again, like the edge position, no matter who you talk to, you're going to get a different cornerback one everywhere so i like cooper DeGene a lot i don't think he fits brian flores's defense i mean you guys are you know heavy blitz reliant heavy man coverage DeGene, i think is more of a zone coverage corner so a guy like him maybe not i would take there but guys like nate wiggins could be a lockdown winning corner quinion mitchell has been rocketing up draft boards recently he could be an option there i still love kool-aid mckinstry from alabama he he might slip if he falls to that's another guy if he falls and i don't think i don't know if he'll fall to 42 but if he falls there that's another home run pick for the Vikings right there. So I think his kind of key and why this week is huge for him, people worry about his speed a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if he runs a, a slower 40, he might be there at 42. So that's a guy that I love. He's a great man corner. I think he would fit like a glove in Brian Flores' defense. McKinstry looks like an overthink it guy. Agreed. Like that Agreed. You watched him play and he was fantastic. And then it was like if he doesn't have the right 40, he doesn't have whatever, then oh, well, maybe he's not. Talk yourself out of him. Yeah. yeah, right. It was Porter that, Joey Porter, like yep. same sort of. Everybody knows this guy's great, but we kind of talked ourselves out of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you could talk yourself out of a guy named Kool-Aid McKinstry. I, I know. Yeah. It seems like a perfect fit. Uh, and the Vikings are purple, purple exactly. Kool-Aid. Yep. That, uh, <laughs> I can't imagine there would be any memes on the no, internet no. if they drafted him. Uh, I think it is a very serious need for the Vikings, though. I just don't know if they're going to get around to it or if yeah. they will have already traded all their picks yep. to try to get Drake May or something. Uh, let me ask you one more thing about just evaluating the draft in general. And you've been doing this now for a couple of years for mm-hmm. PFF. I am always so interested in looking at the PFF data for every player. Yeah. And I noticed last year, for example, like Ivan Pace Jr. was a guy who dominated the data. Yep. And my former intern, Haley English, who worked for PFF, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now works for the Detroit Lions. We met up she's here. She's killing it. Yeah. The, yeah. She's awesome. Uh, she did a thing last year. We called them Haley's Heroes, okay. where she went through all the PFF data and tried to find players that would be underrated and might end up working out. And Ivan Pace was one of her guys. Yep. And of course, he ends up being a legit high quality <laughs> yeah. NFL linebacker as a UDFA. What have you found as far as using the PFF data 
to point us in the direction of players because the competition is all over the place. Yes. It's hard. It's, it's just hard to say, well, this guy's a 90 and this guy's a 90, but those are two different worlds from Toledo mm -hmm. to, you know, the sec or something. Exactly. Uh, and yet I thought, and she's a special talent Haley, but I thought she was able to identify a number of guys who even in their first years were, were able to shine that were highly graded players in, in key areas. How do you use it in your analysis of the draft while also using your eyes and what you hear and what you know? That's I think that's the, the hardest part of this whole thing is like our database. I mean, you know, this it is so vast that we could tell you, I mean, how the highest graded guards in the Mountain West are like instantly. So, I mean, Haley did a great job with Ivan Pace. I would have agreed with her. Like he he was a guy that I could not believe fell out of the draft. And I would talk to actually some Cincinnati people and they're like, dude, I don't I don't get how that guy. And then obviously you broke out in a big way for the Vikings this year. So Haley nailed that. I think Haley might be uh, getting looked at for some GM jobs pretty soon, honestly, based off that. But yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that's the hardest thing. I, I Trevor is so funny with it because sometimes I go to him with a guy. I'm like, Trevor, this guy is awesome. Now, I come from a college perspective. So Trevor watches him and he goes, dude, he's not going to play in the NFL. I'm like, oh. So, so there are some guys like that where it's like it's hard to – because Trevor knows uh, better than anyone. Like It's more than just playing good in college. you got to have NFL projectable traits. And I think that's kind of the hardest part for this whole – at least me because I come from a college perspective is that you're going to look at a guy and say, okay, Yes, he might be grading out as a 70 right now, and this guy's a 90, but this guy, like I said, played in the SEC. This guy played in the, in the Mountain West. And then also, like, this guy has NFL tools that he could actually play in the league. This guy, this is probably his last time playing playing football at a high level. So that's, that's kind of the hardest part for me. The thing I can get fooled on with the data sometimes is smaller school guys yep. who absolutely crush. But, you know, sometimes there's like, uh, what is his name, uh, Keaton Mitchell from, uh, yes. was it East Carolina maybe? Uh, Where was he Yes, from? it was East Carolina. Yeah, yes. and then he shows up with the Ravens. And it's just and then like, translates yeah. right, a difference maker yeah. right away. But then there was a Jalen Darden who I yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, has Same. anyone seen North Texas ball? Oh and, my god, I, that was a guy I sent to Trevor, and he was like, right? <laughs> he gave how, me a look. How much yeah. fun was that guy? He w and it looked like, well, look at his explosiveness and everything else. And then you see him try to return a punt in the NFL, and he just tackled immediately. Right, man, this is a different <laughs> game. You remember, yeah. And, but both of those guys had spectacular data. And how do you figure that out? I think that's the biggest challenge of the draft. But that's why they do the combine is yep. to try to figure out are these athletic traits, because obviously the guy can play football, but can he actually run away from NFL players? Yes. And th there is a tie in with like J.J. McCarthy, where runs away from college guys. Mm -hmm. He's not going to run away from Daniil Hunter in the NFL. No. Daniil Hunter track down justin fields from behind i remember that. like yeah I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. this is this is a just a different level and i think it can be it can be hard to apply that data from even a cincinnati like she was very right about uh, yeah. ivan pace but i see why the nfl might have been like well you know this little guy yeah he played at cincinnati and racked up these numbers but this is the NFL. This is for big people. And it turned out that he was just different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what makes this week so valuable. I know it's a guy named Kentley Platt puts out the, the relative athletic score every year. And I love that because then, then that to me tells you, okay, this guy is an NFL caliber athlete. This guy is not. And then, and then I think you marry those two together with the data that we have and the tape, obviously you have to watch the, the actual tape, but that's that. I think that's why the NFL draft and that's why people get fired all the time because you just mess up on these guys a lot. So I mean, Tom Brady won the seventh round. So like we, or so, yeah, so we don't really know uh, too often how these guys will perform, but yeah, I think that's sometimes the PFF data is it's, 
unbelievable but sometimes you could overload your head with it and sometimes you just have to watch the player and figure it out from there i think trevor does a really good job of that of not letting the data overload him um so yeah i think that's the key is just kind of looking at the data looking at these athletic scores and determining which guy is actually going to be a really good nfl player yeah and uh trevor sikama just putting out the pff draft Draft guide guide, which i have open in a window all year long Same. during draft season. Same. We still have like 58 days to go till the draft. So uh, you guys <laughs> will have lots of content to continue working at. And we'll know better for the Vikings in two weeks, whether we're looking at all those guys we just talked about for defensive linemen or if we're talking mm-hmm. about more quarterback hot takes. Uh, Max Chadwick. What's the Twitter? Is it the at Max, Max Chadwick CFB? CFB. Yes. There you go. Yes. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Great follow. Doing great work at PFF. Really glad that we could meet here for the first time uh, in person. Of course. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Dude, of course. I'm, I'm a little mad that I didn't bring the book with me. I was going to have you sign it, but I actually I left it back at the, at the Airbnb right now. But yeah, man, like I said, it's an honor being on with you, man. I really appreciate that. And uh, why don't you just promote my book one more time? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks so much, Max. I really appreciate it, man. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk soon. Of course, man. Thanks.